Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Yeah, three years. Um, the third anniversary show of The West Files. Yep. How did we get away with it? I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> but we did. We did. We're still here. Yeah. This is the show that I thought might last three months. That was before I came on board. It was. Yeah. I thought we'd long gone before you arrived. And then what happened? You arrived. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> couldn't get away then no, but yeah this is the west files on pure west radio it is the first thursday of the month yes which is our new our new slot for 2021 and uh if you're planning on going out tomorrow <coughs> take an umbrella oh thanks Ilf, it's going to be a bit showery showery tonight we're going to talk about yes. we're going no we're not going to talk about we're going to do, we're gonna do later some electronic voice phenomena EVP, which I'm sure that anybody that's watched these paranormal television shows will know something about. But first, we've got to have the, f the proper theme music, yes. not the happy birthday theme music. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are unburned. When you're down, when you're strained Faces come out of the rain When you're strained No one remembers your name When you're strained
estranged. Ah, Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah. Our theme tune. Because tonight is our third birthday show and we're going to be trialling some electronic voice phenomenon. But yeah. what is electronic voice phenomenon? I don't know. You tell me. Well, it's, it's really quite simple. This is... Um, it goes back a long way. But basically, this is talking to the dead with electronic devices or seeing if the dead will speak to the living using radio. Um, tape recorders, voice recorders, telephones, televisions. Mm. Uh, it's sometimes called instrumental transcommunication. Oh, I think I prefer the electronic. Yeah. yeah, it's easier to say. <laughs> Much easier <laughs> to say. So we're going to be giving, we're going to be um, talking about that because this, this actually goes back quite a long way. Um, there are different accounts. You know, if you look up the history of EVP, electronic voice phenomena, on uh, Google, you'll see that the most common. Um, Stories say that uh, back in the late 1950s, there was a free um, a Swedish film producer by the name of Friedrich Jurgensen. Try saying that after a night out. Try saying it without a night out. And um, <laughs> he'd gone off into the woods to record birdsong with his portable reel-to-reel recorder. And he recorded what sounded like voices, the voices he recognised as being that of his deceased mother mm. calling his name. Uh, somewhat intrigued by this he he conducted more and more experiments and then he wrote a book about it called um well it was in swedish so it doesn't matter you couldn't get it in english um <clears throat> no honestly you couldn't really mm. but uh this book he wrote uh, was then read by a latvian parapsychologist by the name of constantin raudiva and raudiva somewhat intrigued, he was a little bit sceptical, went off and did his own research and discovered, yes, you can indeed seemingly record the voices of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, using nothing more than a tape recorder uh, with a microphone. And uh, what they reached by this point is you, you, if you added some noise in the background, and they were using white noise, and that's that sort of shh, Oh, the hissy noise. The hissy noise. Yeah. Do you remember before in the days when uh, we had digital radios and digital television and the internet when, you know, in between the channels while you were tuning (laughs) in, you got... Yeah. Well, that's what they would tune to. Ah. And um, they would leave the radio on that and they would ask questions and then they would leave a gap in between the questions. And then when they played back the recordings, they would listen to see if there were any voices. But, of course... uh, so that that was that's the commonly accepted version of accounts that you will most likely see on Google. However, it goes back an awful lot longer than that, back to the earliest days of um, the gramophone and the radio. Um, for example, one researcher uh, there's a report of, uh, that took place in the Wigmore Hall in London in the 1920s, where they were setting up a public address system. And this was in the days before, you know, taxis and Bluetooth radio and all that. <laughs> Yeah. And the engineers had set up the studio ready to do the uh, recording. Um, and all of a sudden, voices chattering away, holding a conversation. And the engineers, the public address engineers, were completely... And in fact, they ended up writing a, you know, a, an affidavit saying, we have got no idea how this happened. There was also got the priests back in the 1950s, and they were trying to record some Gregorian chants at the Vatican. 
and nothing was working. The, 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 the equipment was malfunctioning and they couldn't get it to run constantly. Mm-hmm. And in a fit of pique, one of the, one of the priests cast his eye skyward and said the name of his dead father. And he said, oh, you know, Papa, will you... Not Pope, as in Papa, no. Father, will you... What am I doing? And when they played back the recording of the chants... His father, he says it was his father's voice saying, son, I am always here to help you. Oh. So they, they, they experimented a little <coughs> further and then they got themselves somewhat disturbed. This was Father Gametli and um, I can't remember the other one, fortunately, but they went to the Pope. They went to Pope Pius and they said to him, look, you know, we're getting these voices. Yeah. And the Pope said, no, nope, that's okay. Um, it doesn't conflict with... Um, our religion, because we believe in life after death, except you go somewhere else. Uh, and this is interesting science, and gave them his papal blessing. So they could go ahead and keep doing and it. kept yeah. doing it, yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> you know, through the 60s, it was, there were, and there still are organisations throughout the world doing it, but there was a couple of researchers dotted about. We had um, a psychologist called Bonner here in the UK, and uh, an audiologist by the name of Raymond Cass. That uh, name, sir? I've heard of that yeah, name. Yeah, because we mentioned it on the last month's show. I was going to say, yeah. <clears throat> He was over in Yorkshire. Now, a lot of their original archives have, have now gone, unfortunately, but we're, we're quite... For, uh, we are lucky that some of Raymond Cass's um, and some of Constantine Raudiva's um, original recordings from the 50s and 60s mm. survive. Now... <clears throat> It was a different period in the 1960s. Well, yeah. And people spoke differently. Of course. And these have to be some of the dullest recordings I've ever <laughs> had the misfortune to sit through. Oh, my goodness. So, well, let's, let's hear a little extract from Raymond Cass himself. Right. Um, Yorkshire gentleman. This was recorded way back in the 1960s. And let him explain about electronic voice phenomena. Okay. Voices of unknown origin appearing on radio frequencies were first noticed in Scandinavia by the military in the 30s and were put down at the time to secret Nazi transmitters. But the voices spoke in unknown and mixed tongues and after the war no records of secret Nazi transmissions ever came to light. The voices didn't stop after the war but their rapidity and that their transient nature precluded study. That is, until the tape recorder came into common usage in the 50s. A group of radio hams in Chicago studied the strange transmissions, male and female voices speaking in polyglot mode and lyrical tones. But it was not until 1959 that a Russian-born Swedish citizen, radio and TV producer and filmmaker, Friedrich Jürgensen, noticed intrusions on tape and commenced his own systematic study. A disturbing fact soon emerged. The voices zeroed in onto the Swede, addressing him by name, revealing a knowledge of his thoughts and actions, and claiming to be the voices of deceased friends and acquaintances. The news spread rapidly, and soon experimenters and scientists all over the world were attempting to duplicate Jürgensen's work. Prominent among them was the Latvian psychologist, Konstantin Raudiva. The effect on parapsychologists was traumatic. 
accustomed to investigating the blind forces of the poltergeist and endless and somewhat boring card and dice guessing experiments, they were confronted at once with living voices which answered back. Speech being a mark of intelligence and a highly structured artifact. Taken by surprise, the British parapsychologists, without conducting experiments, rejected the objectivity of the voices, explaining them as breakthrough from taxes, police messages, or simply mechanical noises in the tape recorder. But their European counterparts were more cautious, and possibly with greater technical resources, they soon found out that they were indeed confronted with voices of unknown origin on tape, voices which were human-like, but exhibiting odd characteristics, like constructing a sentence from the elements of one or more languages, impinging on a regular broadcast, and by a strange process of metamorphosis, twisting the words of the speaker to suit their purposes and messages. The utterances were strangely lyrical and musical, but compressed and truncated. Rigorous economy with words, and the free use of coined words was common, the so-called neologisms. But like all paranormal phenomena, the voices came and went unpredictably. If the investigator probed too closely as to their source, it seemed as though they broke contact and left him stranded. This is known as the decline effect in psychical research. It is as though there are barriers and constraints against full contact and confrontation. It may be argued that a study of the voices on tape of non-human origin contributes nothing to our survival biologically and that our sensory apparatus needs to be closely focused on material affairs to ensure our economic and planetary survival. The voices may be a mutant development of some remote corner of the subconscious mind or a transient byproduct of the electromagnetic pollution which now rings our planet and presses outward into space. Or then again, the voices may herald the first tentative contact with intelligences from a parallel world who, occasionally, when conditions are right and at the interface between two separate realities, reach out to us, manipulating electronic apparatus and energies in ways at present unknown to us, studying our languages, probing our minds, presenting us in many cases with what we want to hear or what they imagine we expect to hear. Between 1973 and 1977, I was situated in a so-called window area, an area in a city with a high electromagnetic flux, nearby a mass X-ray center, a radio hotspot, and utilizing an ordinary receiver tuned to the aircraft band, I was able to record, when atmospheric conditions were favorable, male and female voices of unknown origin which occasionally address me by name. It has also been suggested that the radio receiver in use suffered from RF breakthrough, allowing foreign material to bypass the tuned circuits. All in all, a highly complex combination of factors, which unfortunately changed, but then allowed brief contact with another reality. That contact has now ceased, but then my attention is directed once more to mundane activities. My profession, politics and science, hi-fi and wine, women and song. 
No wonder a silvery female voice breaking through onto the airband sang in German, we're from another world, but you've cut us out. Maybe one day the contact will be renewed, but let there be no mistake, the validity and objectivity of the paranormal voices doesn't depend on Jürgensen, Konstantin Raudiva, or myself, for there are now hundreds of voice experimenters worldwide, and the mysterious voices have been recorded from Siberia to Scunthorpe, and are stored in digital form in data banks in the West and in the Soviet Union. As I prepare this tape, some of my own examples are being processed at a US Air Force base in Texas and have been fed into a computer of the Western Alliance in the Ruhr. We stand at the threshold of new discoveries and a breakthrough may occur at any time. Some say we are not yet ready for the contact. Worldwide presentation of Jorgensen's results on two LP records has been cancelled. No reasons given. So do we keep our senses focused on terrestrial affairs, the energy crisis, economic growth, commerce and finance, war and armaments, or is that pathway leading to ultimate disaster? Or will the silvery voices open our awareness to other realities and a wider universe? There we go. Wow. <coughs> <laughs> that was, yeah. Yes, a silvery voice. A silvery voice. And like our silvery voices. Of course. The reason, actually, why, because um, he talks about... Jurgensen's two LP recordings. Yeah, I was going to say. The reason why they were cancelled um, is because we're going to play an extract um, <clears throat> coming up. There was, there was um, obviously, a lot of recordings were made for the LPs, and those yeah. recordings exist, and they can be accessed if you know where to find them, if you're a member of the Society of Psychic Research. research. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do you want to have a listen, and then you can figure for yourself? I mean, this is this contains some real electronic voice phenomena. Uh, right. Some of it was recorded by Cass, Raudiva, and Jurgensen, um, and then you can judge for yourself. Mm, I've already wh got whether, several wh questions. Whether Jurgensen had a hit on his hands. This second set of voice samples shows the way in which voices have been heard breaking into public service broadcasts. For example, breaking across the aircraft band. Often the researcher, as in this case, will leave the radio and recorder switched on for long periods of time. This is done in an attempt to capture voices that break in unexpectedly into radio frequencies and transmissions. The first example we hear involves a telephone conversation between Raymond and his wife during which a voice breaks in over the radio, which is operating in the same room. Oh, hi.
Receive us, wasn't it <laughs> yeah also be the language um the recordings um the voices polyglot voices are actually speaking in a mixture there of several european languages uh, yeah because i i i mean you couldn't actually make any sense of what they were saying no and and nor would you be expected to evp researchers uh, spend actually quite a bit of time tuning their ears uh, as part of the process yeah um but that's the sort of early or examples of early um, electronic voice phenomena. The, the first one to me just sounded like it had come from another radio station. You know, when you you, you scan through the radio stations or used to, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you'd pick one up that you weren't quite sure what it was, or it was a foreign one or something, and that's what that sounded like the first one. But then, when you were hearing the the the, the second one, it was kind of like, well, hang on a minute, that's where's that come from <coughs> well first of all the radios weren't scanning um, no. these radios were tuned to one frequency um in the case of the one that's obviously the aeroplane yeah um, we're talking about dogger which is the dogger bang yeah bluebell which is a re- uh, an aircraft reporting point yeah. um off the north north northwest northeast coast um <clears throat> the the voice that comes through ahead of those is clearly different yeah. very different oh yeah and you wonder, well, well, how does it get there? Who's is there somebody, you know, a radio amateur perhaps, um, off frequency because they yeah. made they couldn't buy amateur radio equipment back then. They had to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, and slightly, you know, sort of homemade stuff doesn't always necessarily work um, according to plan. According to plan, uh, could that be an idea? Could the radio receiver itself just be a cheap radio receiver? Now, interestingly, with CAS, because that aircraft recording was one of Cass's recordings um i have an identical model radio oh right uh, i've had it a number of years and we're talking about one of the other record uh investigators earlier bonner Mm. um now bonner um i have some of his original recorders and radios wow and Cass's original equipment has just been released by his family um to a project that i'm involved with so we've now accessed hundreds and hundreds of hours of these recordings, and we have the original equipment. Whoa. So the plan is to, obviously, with the original equipment, we can explore the equipment and we can look at uh, how it was operating. How it worked. And, and hopefully learn a little more. But nonetheless, that is electronic voice phenomena before the 21st century. Yeah. Before Most Haunted before the ghost hunters arrived and then they started playing around. There was, um, now all of these modern ghost hunters, they simply, they buy all these ghost boxes and ghost apps that they use on their phones and they buy these little boxes for 70, 80, 90. Which make an awful lot of noise and don't seem to do a lot. Tremendous amount of noise. There, I mean, there's a long history as to, you know, why, but it's because people didn't want to or as technology um, evolved. The ghost hunters who are, you know, a separate branch of electronic voice phenomena, because these these uh, Cass, Raudiva, Jurgensen, and and the countless others, 
um, they didn't go to haunted houses. They just went to their EVP room or their lounge or their kitchen or their bedroom or somewhere quiet. Yeah. Uh, but modern ghost hunters, of course, you know, they... They, they, they go have to go to the haunted places. Well, <clears throat> they needed something. And digital technology, you know, they got bored with having to rewind the tape or... <laughs> yeah. They wanted to hear the voices in real time. Now, there had been um, a precursor to this, and this was an, uh, an American industrialist in the, the 70s and 80s, a guy called uh, by the name of George Meek. And he thought that there could be. Um, he was fascinated by by the by these EVP, and he was a very wealthy man. And he th- he thought, as a, an electronics genius, that he could construct such a device to allow real time communications with these voices. And he was put in touch uh, via the Psychic Observer magazine with uh, Bill O'Neill, who was another electronics engineer, but who was also a clairaudient. Uh, explain a clairaudient. Someone who, who who can hear the voices of spirits. Right, okay. As opposed to a clair sentient or a clair... Who would sense it. Who would sense it. Right, and okay. um, I can't remember <coughs> the difference. Excuse me. Who see it now, but there we are. Um, clairvoyant. That's the one. Mm. The ones who see visions. Yeah. Um, they set up between them, so the, t- the two of them, the Metascience Foundation. And they claim to have... Uh, using electronic voice phenomena, contacted a medical doctor uh, who uh, they called Doc Nick. And with Doc Nick's help and others on the spirit side, um, including uh, allegedly Thomas Edison, they developed a device called Spiricom. Spiricom was actually a series of devices as it's evolved over the years. Um... They also then got in touch with, uh, on the spirit side, a spirit calling himself Dr. George Jeffries Muller. And he announced that he'd come to join their team after materialising one afternoon in O'Neill's living room as a spirit. He said he'd been a university professor and a NASA scientist and that he died in 1967. Meek and O'Neill uh, said that Muller had given them numerous facts in order to verify his identity... Um, including his social security number. Uh, and with Muller's help, they, they began to design a new piece of equipment uh, in order to convert the spirit voices into audible sounds in real time. Ah. So the kind of the early equivalent of yeah. these ghost box devices. And in October 1977, um, his Muller's first words were recorded using the Spiricom system. There are still some surviving tapes of the conversations between Muller and O'Neill. Right. Um, that, that were uh, made public. And they are absolutely fascinating. Muller can be heard joking with Meek and O'Neill um, and discussing his favourite foods and um, other, you know, giving a perspective on politics and world affairs from the spirit world. And also, bizarrely, asking them to uh, call an unlisted telephone number. Um, <laughs> in order to presumably give a message to the subscriber. Um, Spiricom, Meek, could have, you know, uh, the Meta Science Foundation, uh, they they never patented the device and they, they made the plans public. They gave the plans free. You can go and download the plans for Spiricom, for the Spiricom device. Really? Um, off the internet. Good gosh. But <clears throat> if you want to have a listen to it, 
And then um, mm. let you have a listen to some of the conversation between George Muller and Bill O'Neill and the Spiricom device. Now, obvi- it will be fairly obvious that O'Neill is the human voice and that Muller is not the human voice. I'm not okay. going to say any more than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Sometime in the decades ahead, ideas will be transmitted directly by Spiritcom from a scientist in the higher planes. Just as is being done in this excerpt of an August 1981 tape. I think I've got a doctor. This is the end of side one. Please turn the cassette over at this point to continue the program. Well, that was the spookiest voice of all. This is the end of side one. <laughs> I, I still remember I that. mean, the problem is these recordings were made 40, 40, 50 years ago now. I mean, it is... I can understand... That's why the quality is a bit... Yeah, dodgy. but I, I mean, I also can understand why you said that they have to tune their ears. Oh, yeah. Because it is... Could you it, tell which was... You could tell which was well, which, but you couldn't always work out what was actually being said. And, in fact, the, to me, personally, the last bit of... of before, the, before turn over the cassette was the clearest part, because you could understand it more. Because by then your ears were also tuning in. But, ah. But were you not somewhat reminded of Sparky the Magic Piano? It's it, it's fascinating. Well, it might not be that fascinating because um, they stopped doing all these experiments in yeah. '82 with Spiricon, and they moved over to trying to do video um, phenomena called, and this is ITC Instrumental Transcommunication or Video EVP, and this is a completely different thing. I was going to say, how could you do video EVP? Well, you can. Yeah, and there's a lot of researchers that still are to this day using. Uh, yeah, because these spirit voices have come through on telephones, they've come through on, on computers. You know, there's a very famous case that took place in Cheshire, um, which was written about in a book called The Vertical Plane, where a ghost from the past was communicating by leaving text messages on a computer screen. Really? So, you know, wow. it, it doesn't just cover radio, predominantly radio, uh, but the modern EVP, the ghost hunter EVP, is yeah. very, very different. And they just take... Uh, digital voice recorders because they're convenient they're really cheap um, and they're instantaneous you don't even have to wait to rewind the recording no and you end up in situations where <clears throat> they don't really think too much about the sounds okay. because what they're they, you end up getting what you wanted mm. now i'm going to play you a little recording uh, of mine oh wow um and this took place at Pembroke Castle. Not to me, but to a group of ghost hunters at Pembroke Castle about 12 years ago. Okay. Have a listen to this. Hmm.
And that was recorded at Pembroke Castle by a group of paranormal investigators, um, I say, about 12, 13 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And they contacted um, us because they couldn't explain it. Yeah. Uh, they were there at the time with um, a film crew. Right. And they were making a paid-for documentary. You know, right. They, they'd actually, you know, the TV, uh, wasn't the TV, the film producer, the documentary producer was making a speculative sort of uh, documentary yeah. on on ghosts of Pembroke Castle and other ghosts following this group around. And they got, they were all down in the, that was recorded in the cavern underneath Pembroke Castle. Okay. In the middle of the night, so there was the group of ghost hunters, there was the two or three from the film production uh, company. Yeah. Um, and that was recorded by the sound man um, on, on you know, the, the yeah. film, on the, the the media recording equipment, sound recording equipment. And they were completely perplexed by it, and they contacted us, and it does, I mean, you, you can hear the voice. Yeah. And they were claiming that this is the, that this was the voice of a disturbed soul crying balefully and mournfully in the dungeons underneath Pembroke Castle, you know, cry, help me, help me, get me out of here, or whatever they were. Yeah. Um, and could we could we help them to explain it? And we, we were tasked with listening to that recording, and obviously we, uh, we, we ran it through some sound analysing equipment, and it didn't. It didn't look right, never alone sound right. No. It didn't look right on um, the display that we were seeing because okay. ordinary, when you look at the, the voice, uh, a human voice, right? it has a low end and a, a high frequency end and a bit in the middle. A bit in the middle. Yeah. <clears throat> this had nothing at the bottom. And it wasn't, it wasn't electronic like a Spiricom voice or a, a digital no, voice. it wasn't. It, just... it, it was obviously a real voice but there was something wrong with it it looked like the bits of it were missing frequencies uh, yeah. were missing exactly the same effect that you would get if you were playing it through a loudspeaker right yeah um <clears throat> now there was no loudspeakers there there was no hidden public address system at that time and you know there was no, no tourist pa system down down in that part of the castle it had also been heard um by two of the production team who were upstairs. Okay. So you know you've got it's quite a it's quite a walk down them steps into the cavern, and it's quite a, you know it's difficult to shout up and down the stairs and yeah. be heard properly. So uh, you know, was it somebody outside? Was it you know a passerby, a drunk on their way back? And yeah. Shouting, you know, knowing that the ghost hunters were in the castle and just trying to spook them. We yeah. looked at all of those possibilities. And then we were invited down to the castle uh, with the film. We, we got the film crew, the original film production crew, the original group of ghost hunters, and our own research team. Yeah. And we, we dragged them all down to the castle. <laughs> and uh, with the castle's help, they, they gave us access to the building um, for a period of 24 hours. And we, we, we wanted to test all of the possibilities that have been suggested. Yeah. So... Is it somebody in the you know passing by you know, on the walkway outside the cavern? Is it someone over the road? Is it someone yeah. in the mill pond in the town? Someone inside the castle? Um, but we couldn't. You know, we were looking at the on the computer at the the different recordings we were making, and they weren't right. And then during a break, uh, one of the production crew came up and said, "Can I have a word?" 
Yeah, by all means. No, privately. Yeah. Um, it was me. I was waiting for it. What, what, what do you mean it was you? <laughs> well, basically, what had happened was um, this: they filming. If you're if you're ever stuck in front of a misfortune to be stuck in front of a television camera, particularly on a documentary shoot, you can have very long waits. So he got bored. So he got bored, and he picked up. Uh, one of the crew walkie-talkies, thinking he was talking to the other walkie-talkie. They, right. He thought that, you know, obviously yeah. they're down in the cavern, they won't hear the walkie-talkies, yeah. and anyway, they haven't got, you know, theirs won't reach that no. far from by the gatehouse. Yeah. So he's going, oh, help me, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> then he realised that all hell was breaking loose in the cavern. Oh, no. And decided that, he didn't want to get fired and uh, Understandably. hung, drawn and quartered by his... Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, his producers can be a little bit tyrannical. Yeah. Um, and, and kept shtum. Yeah. So we were right because what was being recorded was the speaker on the walkie-talkie, which is why it wasn't looking right. It was a human voice, but it wasn't quite right yeah. because we were hearing it through the walkie-talkie loudspeaker. Interestingly, though, that Pembroke voice is still doing the rounds as a genuine paranormal phenomenon, (laughs) even though it's been proved. Well, not only proved, we've you know we've got the 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 testimony of the person that did it. We've got the sound engineer. We you know it's all been you know yeah no paranormal. But would a voice with the modern equipment that you've got would if a voice was heard would it actually sound like that? You know, as in something sort of a slightly more clearer than the original well, recordings. Uh, orig- when we've looked at original EVP recordings, they are very different than... Yeah. Um, now, we've allowed for the fact that they were recorded 50 years ago on a real, yeah. on a broken old tape recorder. We can do all that. Um, but what we do see is there are differences. With the modern ghost hunting EVP, you don't get this sing-songy, polyglot, multi-language... Um, you know, you get them saying one word... Not sentences like they were doing with Spiricom. All right. But you get one word. You get, yes, no, die. And <laughs> Demon. The other problem <laughs> is, is when you tell people, when you've got a group of people um, in a room and somebody says, can you say my name? Well, everybody knows who that person's name is. And they're all pre, you know, it yeah. preloads the brain. Ah. And whenever you see these fantastic EVPs that are put up on YouTube... There's normally somebody introducing it saying, uh, this is when the demon said, I will die. Yeah. Or you'll see it running across a little ticker tape at the bottom of the screen. And one of the problems is as soon as somebody knows what to expect to hear. That's what they'll hear? That's what they'll hear as I'm going to ask Peter Kay to demonstrate. You're all about karaoke. When you're singing on a karaoke, you haven't got a clue that those were words. I was singing, um, take that back for good. Wash your back, wash your back, wash your back. Want your back? What's this? Want your back? I've been singing, wash your back, 15 years. So then when you go on a karaoke and you see lyrics, that's what they're supposed to be singing. You know that song, We Are Family? For years I thought they were singing, just let me staple the vicar. Right? Who's right and who's wrong here? Listen.
they sing? Just let me staple the vicar. What's all that about? Just let me staple the vicar. We're giving love in a femidon. Can't believe it, can you? You know what I mean? Should have been on here. <laughs> Apparently, according to Michael, your burgers are the best. Them burger vans, you know, they have at Funfers and doing steak Canadians and hot dogs. <laughs> Speaking of hot dogs, Near, far, you are. I believe the hot dogs go on. A bit of rivalry here, Michael. <laughs> Celine's peddling hot dogs. It's on his patch. <laughs> Meanwhile, Katie Lang's singing about assholes. <laughs> I don't waste my evenings. <laughs> He'll never born you. I swear to God, born you. <laughs> Bobby Gentry, filth. Listen. Phil, I've sang that at cow my mum, huh? Every time I think of it, I piss myself. You see? <laughs> if your brain is expecting uh... to hear something... <laughs> but I actually knew the words of the original songs. <coughs> yeah. And then when he actually told me, oh, this is what you hear, yeah. that's what I heard, and I couldn't unhear it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, pro that's the problem that these ghost hunters deal with. And oh, this dear. idea of programming the brain. 
to hear, expect to hear something yeah. happens, you know, it's constant in the music. We all think that we sing lyrics, you know, yeah. we make up our own lyrics. But occasionally, and there was, <clears throat> well, I'm going to play you a fairly recent track that hit the news quite recently. Well, it, it made big headlines quite recently because they realised that Lady Gaga had been getting away with it. Oh, F-bombing yes. Yes. in one of the most played pop tracks yep. in history. Um, which we covered on Back to Back. Which we did cover on yes. Back to Back. But this, see if you at home can spot the F-bombs, because they're real F-bombs. Oh, yeah.
Voice for me. Did you spot it? In well, Lady I Gaga? knew anyway. You did, yes. Mm. But that is a, a good, exa- an excellent example of why we don't necessarily always hear what we think that we're going to hear. Exactly. And that's one of the big problems that ghost hunters face because they take their recorders and their squawky boxes, they go into these buildings, and then they ask questions to which they know the answers. Right. Often. <coughs> <clears throat> or they me. ask uh, questions like, how many people are here now? Now, that's pre- pre-programming the brain to expect a number. Yes. Yeah. Now, if that number is, if there are four of them, and they're listening, oh, yeah, number four. Now, if it's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven that they hear, it doesn't really matter because the, the extra people mm. are spirits. So there's four of us, and the six of them makes oh, 11. Right. If it says one, two, or three, that's only the number of spirits. So it can be It's made, a win-win situation. Yeah, so it can Doesn't be made matter to what be it whatever, says. yeah. Or, can you say my name? That's a common one. If you could hear my voice, can you say my name? So and you're expecting... You, expecting, and you will... Um, it's surprising. These boxes are like crack cocaine. They are... Dangerous. I have seen groups of people, sceptical people, you know, hard-nosed sort of, I don't believe in any of this. You put mm. one of these devices on in the room and they suddenly... Everything. Yeah. Yeah. They, they suddenly, you know, they, they get cast in by the spell of it. But that isn't what electronic voice phenomena really is. I mean, that's how it's been distorted. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> go back to Poker Face for a minute. Uh, with... But another good example, Chikatika, 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 the Abba song. Now, if I tell you that what they really say is Chicken Tika, <laughs> you did this to me before. Mm. And now, every time you hear that and song, every time I've heard it, yes, you cannot ever hear that you, song without Chicken Tika. You can't unhear it. No, is that because your brain has now programmed? Basically, those lyrics to that. No, it's because of the brain, the way the brain works. We don't, we think that we hear with our ears. In fact, we don't. And a good example that you can, you can demonstrate um, is in a group, if you um, are in the middle of a Zoom call right. nowadays. Yeah. You're in a pub. Yeah. Um, well, that's not allowed, but you get the idea. You're yeah, in yeah. a noisy pub and you're talking to your friend on the telephone. Two of you across the, the table are talking to your third friend or who's, right. who's on the, the mobile phone. They, the person on the mobile phone struggles to hear what you're saying. Yeah. You can talk to your friend right across the pub amongst all the chatter and noise, but a microphone, a sensitive recording microphone, is just defeated by all this noise uh-huh. because you're using your eyes, you're using your ears, your lip reading, yeah. you're interpreting the body movements. So when we listen, we, we, we listen with a lot more than our ears. Ah. 
if you remove them, and that's why it takes so long to tune into those electronic voices that we heard right at the start, because you haven't got any other cues apart from the sound. Now, if if your brain is then given a cue to help it, Mm. this is saying... Whatever. Then the brain goes, oh, yeah, thanks for that, and programs it. Yeah. And then that becomes locked in, hardwired. Yeah. Now, although you know Chikatika... Chikatika. Chikatika. Yeah, whatever. Because I, I am so programmed with chicken tikka. Yeah, you can't having, say, yeah. I've used that example so many times. I now can't undo it. No. You know, it's like hardwired into me as well. Yeah. Because, you know, even an investigator like me, I'm a human being. I fall into these, these traps as often as anybody else. Yeah. The difference being is I know I'm falling into the trap. Whereas a lot of people wouldn't realise. <clears throat> now, what I want to do next is, because we've got the teller of Curious Tales coming up. Uh, oh, quite soon. Oh, goody. Hmm. I thought we'd have a little go. Oh. And then we Does continue. that mean I'm going to miss the Teller of Curious Tales? No, because we're... Well, yeah, because we're going to have a go throughout the Teller of Curious Tales. I'll listen to the podcast. And what What you... I mean, if you want to go and try this at home, mm. all you need is um, any recorder. Now, this can be your mobile phone voice recorder. This can be a digital recorder, a tape recorder... Um, I mean, I know people have done it with the phone answer, the answer, the old answer machines on the telephones. Oh yeah, yeah. Anything to record the sound. Then, simply what you do is you you switch on the recorder and you you have a conversation with the spirit that's that's there, or you you suppose that the spirit's there. So it would go something like, um, um, right, um, if you can hear my voice, uh, my name is Steve. Uh, can you tell me your voice, please? 